So pull out your Bibles, if you have them, or pull out your smartphone or your iPad. Or what, else, what else can you read the Bible on? Your Kindle. By you saying that you're reading on your Kindle just shows that you're smarter than I am. People with Kindles, they're so smart. Yeah, I just read all day, every day. That's all I do. Read, read, read. So God eats popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We're in Ephesians 5. We've been in Ephesians 5 for a couple moons, but uh, we're going to keep it going here. Um, 5, 21 through 33. You, we should probably have it on the screen as well so you can follow along. But let me read it to you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing in water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Amen. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Amen. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I love this passage. I love this passage of Scripture because so many of you hate it. You hate it because it uses the S word, right? Come on now. For some of you, this is a swear word. What word am I talking about? Yeah, you knew. (laughs) Some of you women just were like, yes, a myth. Like, it just riles you up, right? I remember I was doing a pre-marriage counseling session for a couple I was going to marry off. And she told me, she said, whatever you do, don't use that passage in the ceremony. Whatever you don't use that word in the ceremony. Unfortunately or fortunately for her, I'm pretty stubborn. And I actually used it uh, in every marriage ceremony that I've ever done. Uh, I use it because in these scriptures and what we just read, do you see the beauty And the wonder and the joy of what God designed marriage to be. We're missing out if we don't listen to what the word of God has to say in the area of our marriages. It instructs both the bride and the groom. Paul gives us an opportunity to see what a healthy union looks like between a man and a woman. We need to pay attention. It describes the union of man and woman. It shows us how it is a glimpse of the union of Jesus and who? And the church. It's so good. So whether you're single, married, engaged, divorced, widowed, the insight, the wisdom gained from diving into these scriptures is going to help you live the life that God has called you to live. And let's live it according to the Holy Scriptures. So I'm so excited for today. But before I begin, let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've led us to this portion of scripture today, that we could to see how you've designed, how you've created a marriage. It is a joy, Lord, to be in this house this morning. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being with us during this worship time as we sing our praises to you, God. You're so good. You're so good. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so first of all, we have to look at the end of chapter 5 in the context of the entire chapter. As most of you knew, know, the chapters and the verses and those cute little subheadings found in your Bible, they were added later, right? Uh, they weren't a part of the original manuscripts. Last week, for instance, the break between chapter 4 and chapter 5. It wasn't originally there. It was added later. In, in chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open, there's that whole first section of chapter 5 that we covered last week. And then the second half. And in, in my Bible, it has a subheading. What, what does your subheading say there? Spirit-led relationships? Any other subheadings? Yeah. So do you see how there's even different subheadings right there, depending on what uh, translation you have? So mine says instructions for Christian households. And that was added later. So with that in mind, let's go back to last week. Last week, we walked through these 13 power-packed um, scriptures that discussed that we were darkness. We weren't in darkness, but we were darkness. But now we are light in the Lord. Paul told us to live in the light, expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. He went on to tell us to make the most of every opportunity, to seize the day. I loved Last Sunday, I loved reading those scriptures. I've enjoyed this week. I've been reminded again and again that I am a child of light. The darkness has to flee. But listen to what happens when you take away that cute little subheading, the instructions for Christian households, and you just keep on reading the passage. Listen, we're going to read from Ephesians five fifteen through 21. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days they are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, so what just happened there? Paul says, hey, don't be a fool. Instead, renew your mind. Understand the Lord's will. Don't be filled and don't get drunk on wine. Instead, get filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with praise on your lips, giving thanks to God in the name of Jesus and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you put it in that context of what Paul is actually writing, there's no fear or anxiety about it. It's just, yeah. Let me say it again. Make the most of every opportunity. Understand the Lord's will. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God in the name of Jesus, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's good. No hesitation. No reservation. Just submit. It's not a swear word. It's a command from the Lord. His commands, they're not burdensome. This instruction is for everyone, married or single. If you want to live in Christian community, if you want to be in a functioning member of the body of Christ, you submit to one another, all out of reverence and respect for Christ. So obey the Lord, submit to one another. Well, that's fine and dandy, Pastor Dan, but you haven't gotten to the really juicy part yet, right? Come on, wives, submit to your husbands. Dun, dun, dun. Well, put on your seatbelt. We're diving in. My, my prayer is that you would walk out of here this morning so encouraged that you would be inspired and, yes, challenged by these scriptures instead of being afraid of them. So let's look at this passage starting in verse 22. Wives, 
Listen up, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For your husband, he is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then jump down to the end of verse 33. And the wife must respect her husband. So here it is. Christ, he's the head of the church. The church being all believers, you and I, the church, and we are to come in and to lovingly support and submit to him. Have you noticed that as a church, we aren't always so good at that? But regardless, the call there is to submit to him. In the covenant of marriage, the husband, he's the loving head of the home and the wife is to respectfully submit to him. It's a simple idea. It's a simple idea that has been used and abused. How many jerk husbands or even abusive husbands have yelled out in anger that their beautiful, precious bride needs to submit to them all in the name of God, of being holy, obeying the word of God? How many times have denominations used this passage to glorify men, to exalt their platform, putting men on a pedestal while belittling women, confining them to the role of the quiet and lesser than servant So there, I believe, has been a muddy and inappropriate interpretation of Scripture. But by the grace of God, we're going to clear that up today. Amen? I'm excited. We're going to read that a wife is to submit to and respect her husband. Ephesians 5.22, we just read it. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Ephesians 5.24, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Ephesians 5.33, wife, you must respect your husbands. So here's the question. What does it look like for a wife to submit to and respect her husband. First off, it should look like Jesus. It should look like Jesus. Because whether you're a man or a woman, we are all meant to grow in our faith and our relationship with God and become more like Jesus every day. So it should look a lot like Jesus. Well, then what does it mean for a wife to submit to and respect like Jesus? What does that mean? Or what does it not mean since there's been so much confusion on this passage? I want to spend a little time on what it doesn't mean first off this verse doesn't mean that men in general should be ruling over women in general no some of you here this morning wanted to say that but it doesn't we're not talking about gender issues we're talking about marriage issues see i've got two daughters ava and Addie. they're amazing here's what i'd never tell them ava men are in charge do what they say can you imagine that number one ava would never agree to that (laughs) But I would never say that to her, ever. That kind of attitude and that kind of mindset leads you down a path of abuse and the degradation of women. It's inappropriate. This passage, it isn't talking about men and women. It's talking about one woman, a wife, and one man, the husband. We're talking about building a family and structuring a family according to the beautiful plan and design of God. Modeling it after Jesus and how he leads the church. This passage, it doesn't mean that a wife is less valuable or intelligent intelligent than the husband. Both men and women bear equally the image and likeness of God, equal dignity, equal value. In addition, it doesn't mean that men are more important than women. Not at all. Again, some of you kind of wanted to say that, but it doesn't. It definitely doesn't mean that men are more intelligent than women, right? We all know that's true. I get an amen from one of the ladies down front. (laughs) That's <laughs> <It has> not <laughs> and over there. It's getting out of control. No, it has nothing to do with IQ. 
It also doesn't mean that a husband is more competent than a wife either. None of that's true. None of it. Here's what's true. The man is the head of the household. He's the leader. And the wife, she is a valuable, intelligent, and competent partner. Genesis 2.18 tells us that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so God gave him, uh, what was it? A helper. Think about what it means to have a helper. If man needed a helper, it means that the woman is more intelligent, more capable, and more competent in areas where he is not. They got to work together. They're better together. It's the strength and the power of the two becoming one. As we look at this passage, it doesn't mean that a wife doesn't have independent thoughts. Ladies, if I'm talking to you and your husband, and, I, and, and he's just like right there, and, and I say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, what do you think about this certain subject? I don't want you to turn to your husband and go, honey, what do I think? Ever. Don't do that. You have your own thoughts. Women have their own thoughts. I know this. I'm married to one. Have you met my wife? <laughs> she's awesome. She's an independent thinker. She's tough. She's edgy. She's confident in who she is. And I love that about her. In fact, it's one of the main things that attracted me to her. And let me tell you, many of her thoughts are different than my thoughts. Many of them. And it's very, very healthy. So a wife definitely can have independent thoughts. Pastors also don't mean that a wife can't seek to influence her husband. You are influencers. Genesis 19.14 says a prudent wife is from the Lord. Again, Genesis 2.18 tells us that a man needs a helper. So to be really helpful, a woman would need to be a prudent influencer of her husband. This passage from Ephesians isn't saying that my wife can't influence me. Mary influences me more than any of you. Some of you might think you have influenced my life. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But none of it compares to the influence that my wife has on me. I told you last week how I am completely honest with her, confessing my secrets, allowing the light of Christ to shine in the darkness. There's some awkward moments to be sure, but in those moments she shares with me and she influences me. Listen up, she doesn't disrespect me or tear me apart. She doesn't belittle me or walk out on me, but she does share with me. She is a prudent, godly, helpful influence in my life. I'm a better man for it. This passage doesn't mean that women can't express their thoughts and feelings. Now, let's be honest, men. The reality is sometimes your thoughts as women overwhelm us as men. They just do. <laughs> Right? They, they do. We can easily be overwhelmed by your thoughts and feelings. But you need to be able to express your thoughts and your feelings in a marriage. The word of caution from Scripture is to do it in a respectful way so that you can influence your husband rather than just picking a fight, declaring war on him and getting into that crazy cycle. You ever been stuck in the crazy cycle? Does anyone know what I'm talking about with the crazy cycle? The love and respect curriculum. It goes into depth on the crazy cycle. A never-ending fight or argument. By the way, this is for every married person or dating person or a person that wants to get to be dating or wants to be married. If you feel you can't express your feelings to your partner without getting into an argument or heated dis discussion, one, I would encourage Christian counseling. Mary and I have been to counseling several times. We'll go to counseling, I'm sure, more uh, times in our life. We love 
counseling. It's just such a wonderful opportunity for us to share without having to try to get in that crazy cycle on our own. But number two, I'd also highly recommend for you to sign up for that love and respect marriage group that we're starting up as a church later in the month or later in October. It's incredible material. Mary and I, we actually went to Missoula, Montana for a love and respect conference. It was one of the best things we've ever done for a marriage. So your wife, she needs to be able to express her thoughts and feelings. Mary needs to be able to come to me and say, hey, babe, I think that's a bad idea. Babe, I don't know how I feel about that. A wife must be allowed to express herself. She, along with the rest of us, were to be like Jesus. Jesus expressed his thoughts and feelings. She needs to be able to do that as well. Now, for a wife to respectfully submit to her husband, it doesn't mean that she ignores all of her husband's flaws. Your husband has some flaws, right? In fact, if I gave you a sheet of paper right now to write them down, some of you would need to use the back. Some of you would be asking for another piece of paper. I get that. (laughs) And who knows who that would even be, right? Not pointing anybody out. A godly wife doesn't ignore her husband's flaws and just pretend he's an angel. But I'll tell you what she does do. This is important. She encourages him in the areas of his life that are respectable. They talk about this in love and respect. You desperately want to be married to a man that you can respect, don't you? You do. But then you get married, and as you continue to stay married, you discover things about your husband that you just do not respect. Newsflash, he has areas of weakness. Newsflash, you have areas of weakness. And if you don't think you do, then newsflash, your area of weakness is that you're prideful, and you might have a (laughs) pharisaical or religious spirit. His weaknesses might be different than yours, but you both have weaknesses. Listen up, wise. To help, to help those areas that you don't respect about your husband, you will want to encourage the areas that you do respect about him. Well, I don't respect anything about him. Well, find something. You might have to go back a ways. You might have to go way back. Maybe to when you got married. Remember why you married him in the first place. But encourage him. Help him to grow into the man that God expects him to be and that God calls him to be. So again, it doesn't mean that a man is flawless and without sin. It just means that a wife approaches her husband in a way that she is actually helping him become more like Jesus. That's respect. Now, submitting to your husband, it does mean that you set the pattern for others to respect your husband. This is important. Man, you can cause some serious damage. Listen up. If mom disrespects dad in front of the kids, are they going to respect dad? Let me ask that again. If Mom disrespects dad in front of the kids. Are the kids going to respect dad? No. If the wife disrespects the husband in front of her co-workers on her lunch break, will they respect her husband? Probably not. Women who publicly disrespect their husband encourage others to disrespect their husbands. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't disagree with your husband from time to time, but you do so respectfully and privately. Ladies, you might not understand this, but when you disrespect or cut down your husband in front of others, especially when he's standing there, this is devastating to your marriage because you've just put your husband in a lose-lose scenario. Because if he argues back, what is it? He's being mean. If he says nothing, if he doesn't argue back, he's being weak. He's in a lose-lose. 
If I respond, I'm a mean jerk husband. If I don't, I'm a passive weak husband. So one of the keys to submitting to your husband is definitely to speak well of him in public. I'm so blessed to be married to a woman who speaks well of me in public. I can trust that even when I'm not in the room, she is speaking well of me. I hope you do the same for your husband as well. Now, some of you are going to hate this one, but respectfully submitting to your husband means you got to stop persistently pointing out all of his flaws. Men, don't elbow your wife right now. I'm not talking to her. The book of Proverbs, it talks about this kind of woman. They are quarrelsome, it tells us. They're a nag, disrespectful and quarrelsome. We've all seen those marriages, right? Where the, where the woman continually finds fault with her husband. Right? Just picking on him, picking on him, picking on him. I heard a pastor say that married to a, a wife like this sometimes feels like a life sentence where the guy's just scratching on the wall. One more day. One more day. Proverbs 27, 15. It says, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy, rainy day. A constant dripping on a rainy day. Makes me think of a dripping faucet. In our old house, we, we lived in an old house in Spokane, and, and we just couldn't get the, the bathtub fixed, so the, the faucet just dripped. Drip, 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 drip. Proverbs tells us that a wife can be like that. Drip, 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 drip. It gets better. Proverbs 21.9 tells us that, guys, that it is better to live on the corner of the roof than it is in a house shared with a nagging, quarrelsome, and fault-finding woman. Some of you guys right now are like, yes, I love the Bible. I am going to follow the word of God. I have my camping gear. I'm ready to apply the word of God. I'm going to go up my ladder, set up my tent, pick up the ladder. Bye-bye. Some of you women right now are like, I am not quarrelsome. And then finally, and this is beautiful, this passage of scripture, it does mean she takes her cue from the Trinity and Jesus So there's one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True or false, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are equal, sharing all the divine attributes. True or false? True. True or false, Jesus Christ submits to God the Father. So you can be equal, yet under authority. That's why a teacher is not more valuable than the student. A political leader is not more valuable than the citizen. Just means someone is leading. And someone is deferring to that leadership. That's why a player is not more, less valuable than a coach. And if a police officer pulls you over, you can't say, hey, we're equal. You have no right to write me a ticket. In fact, officer, I'm going to write you a ticket. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> Here's how it works. Jesus, he is the son of God. And the Bible tells us that the father sent the son. Jesus says things while he's on this earth like, I'm not here just to do whatever I want. I'm here to do what the Father sent me to do. I'm here to say what the Father has sent me to say. In fact, Jesus tells us to pray this way. He says, Father, your will be done. That's submission. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he is to be crucified, he has this anguish-filled prayer, doesn't he? And he prays to the Father, if it is possible for this cup to be removed, this cup of suffering, then do it. But not my will, but your will be done. Wives, you're following Jesus' lead on this one. To respect and to submit is to be like Jesus. And we all want to be like Jesus. And I know this passage says, wives, submit to your husbands. But remember, the verse right before this tells us that we are to submit to one another. So we all need to follow Jesus' lead on this one. And become more like him, submitting to one another. 
like I said before, these scriptures, they've been used inappropriately. They still are. And so I just wanted to strip it down. Show us once again what God has designed for us. Just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. It's a glorious design. It's not to fill the ego of a man or to degrade the woman. By the way, I want to challenge you men. If your spouse, if, if your spouse is going to submit to you, you've got to step it up. You need to take the responsibility of being the head of the wife seriously and live accordingly. And now, men, it's going to be hard at times because, men, when you sign up and when you enter into that marriage covenant, you are signing up for a life of service, of being a servant. But by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. Defend your bride. Protect your bride. Fight for your bride. Don't abuse these scriptures. If these scriptures have been used inappropriately in your household where there is fear and abuse, you need to go to Christian counseling Right away. Tomorrow, call. I can give you some phone numbers. Set up a time maybe to meet with Pastor Randy and Kathy or with Mary and myself. Don't wait. You need someone to talk to because either you've been doing wrong or wrong has been done to you. What you've been experiencing is not biblical and you need to be able to open up and share with somebody. But for the rest of us, here it is again. I want to say it loudly and clearly. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Amen. You're not off. Oh, no. Now men. Amen. And now men. You are not off the hook. I told you how much I love this section of Ephesians. One of my favorite parts of this passage is the inequality in how much Paul talks about each sex. He gives oh, what? Like two and a half verses of instruction to the wives. Compare that to the eight and a half verses he sets aside to tell the husbands how they are to treat their wives. It's interesting to me, since it seems like the church has been run mostly by men, the men have decided to really focus on those two and a half verses and kind of just skip past the eight and a half after that. But uh, we're not going to do that here at LifeSpring because the, law, the Lord has some serious instructions for us men. So let's listen to what he has to say to us. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. Wow, did you hear that? Men, did you hear what I just read? It says, husbands, love, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, I have a question for you. I want you to answer this out loud. What does it mean... That Jesus gave himself up for her. Anyone else? He died. That's what it means. He died. He died for his bride. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I love, Ray Wright, he tells me this all the time. When he talks to me about marriage, he says, Pastor Dan, your wife, your bride should be your best friend. Your best friend. So there is no greater love than for me to lay down my life for my best friend, my bride, Mary Birch. There is no greater love that I could show her. 
Husbands, listen up. You are called to die for your wife. Some of you are not willing to die for your wife. It's true. You came into the marriage relationship seeing what you could get out of it for yourself instead of what you could put into it for your bride. I want to say that again. You came into the marriage relationship seeing what you could get out of it for yourself instead of what you could put into it for your bride. But today the Lord wants to change all of that. Jesus, he came to this earth to give us the love of the Father. That's what John chapter 17 tells us. So, men, we have the Father's love. We all do. Men of God, you have the love of God within you. Share that love with your bride. It's a love that would do anything for her, that would fight for her, defend her, and even die for her. The love of God that is residing within us, yet we struggle so much to receive it often and often to share it with others. As a pastor, I see this again and again in marriages. I see this just in normal relationships. We struggle to share the love of God with others. We do not love our spouses or others with the love of God. But this can change. God wants to help us today. Jesus, he's already modeled to us what real love looks like. So we can learn how to love our brides as we look at how Jesus loves his bride, the church. So let's go ahead and do that. Men, if you're, if, or young men, if you're thinking about ever getting married, you've got to write this down. First, Jesus' love for the church is selfless. It's a selfless love. That's about as opposite of what the world calls love as you can get. Think about it. The world's version of love is all about how a person can complete me. Jesus' love is all about how I can serve you. Jesus' love is selfless. Our Savior is devoted to us because of who we are, not for what we can do for him. I want to say that again. Jesus is devoted to us because of who we are, not for what we can do for him. Philippians 2, 7, 8 teaches us that Christ cares for us so much that he left his home in heaven to provide a way of salvation for you and me. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He left his throne, the angelic host, the heavenly comfort to reach you. Jesus held nothing back out of self-interest. He was selfless. He gave everything up for you. He loves you with a selfless love. Sometimes in our marriages, we are so selfish Make me food, make more money, clean my house, wash my dishes, have sex with me, have more sex with me. We are so demanding, but Jesus tells us a different way where we humble ourselves, becoming a servant, serving our bride, giving ourselves up for her. So Jesus' love for the church is selfless. Our love is to be selfless as well. Secondly, Jesus' love is understanding. It's understanding. If there's one thing you can count on Christ, it's that he's sympathetic to our suffering, to our faults, and to our limitations. Praise the Lord for a God who understands. Amen? Amen. See, he realizes why we respond to situations the way we do. Hebrews 4, 15, 16 assures us of this. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. No, we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Yet he's without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Lord, he's understanding in his love. We, on the other hand, we're often not. Do you know how much marriages would improve if we just gave each other the benefit of the doubt? 
But instead, when our spouse makes a mistake or succumbs to a temptation, we jump all over them. We rip them apart. But our love, it needs to be understanding, sympathetic to what our wife is going through. It can be difficult, but we can do it with God's help. Third, Jesus' love is forgiving. It's forgiving. First John 1 John 1.9 promises if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God hates sin. He hates sin because sin is a destroyer. It dominates your life. It keeps you from experiencing his best for you. The Father's heart is to cleanse you of your sin. But us, we want to hold your sins against you as long as we can. And this needs to stop. Ask the Lord to help you in this area if you're holding on to unforgiveness. I get that it's real. I get that it's painful. But ask him to help you to learn how to forgive. Because the love of Jesus is a forgiving love. Finally, Jesus' love is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Hebrews 12, 2. It tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Hmm. It cost him greatly. Even an excruciatingly painful death on the cross. This is love. This is love. And love this great often requires incredible sacrifice for the benefit of the one being loved. No one demonstrates this better than Jesus. So men, our love for our wives, it needs to be a sacrificial love. So men, that's how Jesus loves. We're to love our Wise as Jesus loves the church. Wow, that's pretty intense, huh? To love them with a selfless love, not for what we can gain or benefit out of the relationship. To love them with an understanding love, always accepting them as Christ accepts them. That we love them with a forgiving love, remembering that Christ has forgiven us for so much more. And that we love them with a sacrificial love, which means that we would put aside our own goals, our own wants and desires, and instead sacrifice for their greater good. So husbands, here's the question. Do you choose to lay down your life for your wife? So I'm going to ask it again. If you have an answer, you can give it to me. (laughs) Husbands, do you choose to lay down your life for your wife? Yes. When you married her, you signed up to love her for better or worse. Till death do us part. And you're to love her with the love of Christ. Selfless, understanding, forgiving, and sacrificial. So there, I I picked on both of the sexes equally. I hope you're all offended. (laughs) Husbands and wives, do you see how we each have a role to play? How we're to submit to one another? How men you're supposed to love, serve, and sacrifice for our bride? And how women you are to submit and to respect your husbands? I hope you can see that this can only happen if there's a third party in the equation, right? Please, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. It's Jesus Christ. He's the third member of the party. In marriage, we always like to make it you against me or me against you. That's what we do, right? In marriage, you against me, me against you. We do that in all contexts of our relationships. But what matters most in our relationships isn't you against me, me against you. It's the third party, the third member of the equation, the third strand of that cord that's not easily broken. It's our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary and I, we've been married for... Almost eight years. <laughs> and it's, that was, that's so awkward. <laughs> and it has been a beautiful eight years. 
But, you know, we have had our challenges. We have. We've had our struggles and our stresses, our ups and downs. We've had our victories. It's been an incredible journey. I'm excited for our future together. But the success of our marriage moving forward will be based on two things. Number one, the strength of my personal relationship with Jesus. And number two, the strength of her personal relationship with Jesus. We must both be living in obedience to his word and in full surrender to his will. We must see marriage as an opportunity to live these selfless lives where we would serve and love one another. That in everything we would say and that we would do, that our love for each other would be rooted and found in the love of God. Our love for each other, it needs to be a response to the love that Jesus has shown each one of us. First John 419, it says, we love each other because he first loved us. And that's the wisdom for a Christian marriage where both people are followers, believers in Christ. And I get that some of you might not be married to a Christian. And we haven't even been able to talk about that today. I know I've only scratched the surface on what we could talk about today. But I wanted to leave some time at the end of the service to give us the opportunity to hear a real life example of what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5. So I've asked Scott and Holly Harden if they'd be willing to answer a couple of questions from me on how this plays out in their marriage. So would you please welcome with me up to the stage Scott and Holly Harden. Thank you guys so much for coming on up. So I have just a couple of questions. Answer it however you want to answer. And there is no right answer. Well, there might be a right answer, but um, no, I'm just joking. Just relax. Uh, so, oh, here, let's turn it on for you, too. She said, should she have brought up her sermon notes? <laughs> That's funny. So, Holly... What does it look like to respectfully submit to Scott, that wonderful man over there next to you? <laughs> well, first of all, um, like you mentioned, um, part of it is just showing him respect. And I think that's a really interesting thing because, um, because people think of respect as something that you're supposed to earn and love as something that you're supposed to just give unconditionally. But, um, but I've found that that showing respect is actually a way of just viewing our relationship prophetically and mm-hmm. seeing what seeing the vision that God has for who Scott is meant to be mm-hmm. and treating him that way. Mm-hmm. So that's one yeah. way, but another is just through daily life um there are some things that, you know, I just go about my day just like all of us do. And there's things that we do and decisions we make. But um, whenever something comes up that we haven't ever talked about before, I don't just leave him in the dark and make a choice and go my own way and do my own thing. I talk to him about it and we discuss it and we come away with a decision together. Um, or... I choose. <laughs> Which that, and that's the truth of it. There really isn't, there aren't very many times that we haven't walked away from a discussion with a decision that we've made in unity. But when there is a time that we can't come to a decision together, he does. He chooses, and I just go with it. Which is, um, I think, just part of really following the Lord. Um, and I really don't think there have been very many times when that have happened. And, and with that, like, that 
that's a, I bear that on my shoulders as, you know, mm-hmm. to make those decisions in that time where we don't agree, I need to make sure that I'm seeking the Lord in that mm-hmm. and taking the Lord's counsel and making a decision based on that mm-hmm. and not just getting getting my way. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. That's good wisdom, yeah. And I've been tempted to just do it on my own before because it's easier and it takes less time. But I've found that really bringing it to him and talking it through, we come away with a better a better decision because we have a shared understanding and we each bring something to the table. Um, you know, the other thing that I think of is right now, I mean, we're really in a healthy place and we're both, we're both following the Lord and um, – we're in a healthy marriage, but it wasn't always that way. So <laughs> we weren't, we haven't all, we've been through rocky times and we haven't always um, both been submitted to the Lord. And I know that some of you might be in relationships right now that are like that, where maybe you're thinking, wow, I don't want to submit to my husband. You know, he's not doing um, what I think he should be doing, or he's not following the Lord from what I can see. Um, but saying that somebody is following God or can be influenced by God really isn't a huge compliment to anybody because I I think about Balaam and how (laughs) he was, he was spoken to by his donkey. I mean, if you can be spoken to by an animal that, that is, um, you know, not a wise animal by any means. Then, then certainly, <laughs> this is not this is not an analogy for Scott. <laughs> He's <a> giggling. <laughs> well, then certainly, um, yeah. I can be spoken to, and Scott can be spoken to, um, and we can really, in in our blindness, sometimes um, be guided by God, mm. uh, because he just because he has the ability to break through. And just even as Holly's saying that, what she has done or learned to do, um, because, you know, like we've marriage, through our marriage, we've we've learned how to be married. And, you know, that was a process. And and God walks us through that process. And, you know, for all newlyweds, you know, we'll do the same for you, you know. Um, But she has um, began to... When she brings something to me and I don't agree, pray and go, God, if that's the way it should be, you know, speak to Scott. Mm-hmm. And he usually does. And it's usually the right thing to do, right? Um, and because uh, and, um, he's faithful, right? And he, he does. And I know that he's speaking to both of us. And through that, I've come to just really I, – I just – just really trust the word of the Lord through Holly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where I, I want to not be that constant dripping. Yeah, <laughs> that you, you were don't talking want to be about. a nag. Right? right. That's awkward. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's a step of faith to say it once and then shut my mouth yeah. and go pray in my prayer yeah. closet because I know that I'm not the one doing the work wearing him down to try to get him to do what I want him to do. <laughs> but I'm I'm submitting really <laughs> I'm submitting really to God is who I'm submitting to. 
um, I'm submitting to God and I'm putting my faith in him. And it's a faith walk to know God is going to be the one who speaks to Scott and speaks to me. Sometimes it's really bringing me to a place where um, what I thought in the first place isn't what God wants. So I'm giving him the opportunity to speak to me, too, when I go and pray about it. That's so good. Thank you. There's just a wisdom in you guys. I just love hearing it. Isn't this good? This is awesome. Well, Scott, you did great. I want to pick on you. So what does it look like in your life? Some good examples, maybe bad examples of loving her like Christ loves the church. I mean, it sounds impossible. Like, just how, how do you do that? Well, it's not impossible because, um, because when you allow the love of Christ to change your life and to be affecting the way that you live, you can then imitate him. And I can love her the way that Christ loves the church. Do I do a perfect job of that? No, because I'm not always, um, I'm not always walking in the spirit. You know, I'm not always um, 100% um, doing uh, what I should do as far as you know loving her the way that she deserves to be loved and that I ought. Um, but pretty close, you know, um, I can come pretty close to that. I think. <laughs> I don't know, um, but uh, you're awesome, honey. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm just kind of like you know a little help here, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is my love for Holly is uh, it is an unconditional love, and it is um, it is laying my life down, you know, for her, and a lot of the things that I've come to learn and how to treat my wife and um, how to be married, (laughs) Um, I've learned a lot through um, trial and error and um, a lot of errors. And, um, you know, I haven't always been the most loving husband. You know, I've gone through very uh, seasons of being very selfish and, you know, uh, being trapped into uh, addictions. And um, I had a a relapse, you know, when Holly was pregnant with Riley. So we had our second child on the way and I was, you know, got wrapped up in, you know, drugs again. And anyway, but, um, so we've walked through some tough stuff, you know, and, um, but, um, but I, I have learned to just love her no matter what, and even because it's, it's a it's a choice that I make, mm-hmm. and it's not a love that's that's based on you know like the way the world says love is. It's mm-hmm. a feeling based on your feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I love her. That's my choice. I'm you know whether or not like maybe she just dis- disrespected me, which doesn't happen very often at all. So don't don't think that. But like even in the face of that, I would still love her and. Um, seek reconciliation, you know, mm-hmm. and even um, like I think of an of an example of you know me not loving, maybe failing in my love for her, you know, like recently I had to come to her and tell her about a moment of weakness that I had, where I'd taken God off the throne of my life and I'd been overwhelmed by my circumstances around me and in a moment of weakness I had thoughts um, 
that just inappropriate thoughts, impure thoughts, that um, I had to come to her and I had to seek forgiveness and I had to confess my sin to her. And that's where, you know, it'd be so easy for me to just, you know, keep that, just ignore that, you know, and just to keep on going in life. But then there would be that thing there that could grow into something ugly, you know. And um, so part of laying down my life was just coming to her, you know, and just saying, you know, I'm going to keep everything in the light. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do everything I can for us to be in um, in unity, to not have anything in between us. And um, and also, like, how it says in the scripture, um, like, daily, day to day, um, I like in the NASB, which I was reading out of this morning, it says, um, as a man would um, would nourish and cherish his body, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's how we would love our wives, you know, like Christ, you know, uh, that's what we do for our wives, and um, for Holly, you know, I'll I'll do that um, mm-hmm. if I see a need in that she has, you know, I try to meet those needs, you know, as if it were my my own self. Sometimes I'm better at kind of seeing what she needs and taking care of that than myself, you know, unfortunately. But um, well, that's really good. So I, I'm just getting a lot out of this. Um, I appreciate you guys. But there's another reason I brought you up here. It's that you guys are leading up this thing called Art of Marriage uh, in October. And then you're also doing a, how, how many weeks is that? Small 14 group? weeks. A 14-week small group on marriage. If that ain't awesome, I don't know what it is. I mean, that's like, that's some serious commitment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so excited. Who could ever go through 14 weeks of that and not be changed, right? And not right. just be like, I love you, and we're going to do wonderful things together. You know, I'm, I'm pointing to Ray. He's probably really feeling weird right now. I meant, I love you. <laughs> it's like, I love you too, Pastor Dan. You know that. <laughs> but uh, maybe you guys could just share a little bit um, about those two things, and then we'll, uh, we'll dismiss everyone. Great. So before... Um during the announcements, you guys saw the video for the Art of Marriage, and that's going to be on the 19th and 20th of October, and we're really looking forward to that. It's um, it's something that's it's expect a fun time with your spouse. It's not just a sit down watch someone lecture. It's going to be videos with some fun breaks where you get to do things together, and um, it should be a time to grow your marriage and enjoy each other. Yeah. Food and uh-huh. Both days we're gonna have dinner and land lunch the next day, so that's cool. And uh, so yeah, it should be a, a good time to uh, to spend with your your spouse. And it's a what, and the value of of a video series like that um, that we're doing a, a, a conference in that is that it does it brings up issues, and um, you know it's work. Marriage is work. It takes work. And um, sometimes we need a reminder of some of the things that we ought to be working on. And so that's really, there's a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay. And then we're going to do the the uh, the 14 weeks that we're going to do, um, we're going to do it on Monday nights. Mm-hmm. And coming up after the uh, Art of Marriage Conference. And it, and we're going to go through the love and respect um materials uh, and yeah it's really good um material by emerson Egerich, and um it's just 
uh, I don't know. <laughs> we just really look forward to um, getting together with any couples who are interested in doing that. And, and like Dan said, it's 14 weeks, which is a really nice long time to be with each other, too, to be um, in relationship with other married people um, so that you can learn from each other and grow together. Um, so we're, we're excited about that and about the material that we're going to be able to go through together. Yeah, and that's the value of that. And that's actually what I wanted to say, but I forgot. So <laughs> Better together. Better together. Can we give it up for Scott and Holly Harden? Thanks, you guys. Would you guys stand with me? Lord, let's pray to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we know that you created this thing that we call marriage. This was your idea. You designed it. You created it. And you didn't design it for us to be miserable. You designed it for joy. Christ, as you're the head of the church, isn't it for your misery? It's your joy. It's your body. And I pray that over our just our marriages in this house, Lord, that the two would become one, the two would become one, the two would become one, that we would see it as the covenant which it is, Lord. Lord, we pray against anything that the enemy is trying to do in our marriages, Lord, whatever opposition might be on our, our marriages, Lord, whatever the world is telling us, whether it's to uh, flee and that we can just leave and, and not do it anymore, or, or whether it's telling us that we should keep secrets and that it's better to be dishonest and then to be honest with our wives or with our husbands. Or the lie that says, I need to make sure I'm getting what I need out of this. That I get all my needs met, all of my things, all of my toys, all of my things that satisfy me. Instead, Lord, we'd be only satisfied in you, Lord Jesus. And out of the satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from just knowing you and knowing your love, that instead, Lord, instead of us having to try to find that satisfaction in our spouse, instead of being satisfied in you, God, we would pour out. We would pour out to our spouses, Lord. It would just be a pouring out. As you fill us up by your spirit, there would be a pouring out into our spouses, Lord. There would truly be a servant attitude, a servant's heart in our relationships, God. Instead of making the other bow to us and, and instead of us holding those, uh, those sins against the other one and always put, holding it over their head and always keeping them down and hitting them down and pushing them down. Instead, we would release them, Lord, from what we've done to them. Release them from, from the bondage that we've been trying to put on our spouse and say, instead say, I forgive forgive you. I release you of that. I am satisfied in Jesus. I have my fulfillment in Jesus. I am here to love you and to serve you, Lord. I also pray, Lord, over the unhealthy situations that some of us find us in, the, the dangerous situations, that we would have the wisdom to know when, when we need to just break it. If there's abuse, if there's sexual abuse, if there's physical abuse, Lord, that we can take a stand against that, God. That that's not what you created us to endure, Lord. Our spouse hitting us or our spouse sexually abusing us. It's not what you've called us to, God. Give us courage, Lord, to stand up today. And if you're next to your spouse right now, you don't have to, but if, if you want to, maybe just grab their hand. And remember that as a couple, there are times when you don't have to say anything to each other. Just holding each other's hand tells you everything you need to know. And that's because the Holy Spirit is the third member of this cord that cannot be easily broken. That even as you hold each other's hands, you know that the Lord is speaking to you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? That you are one flesh. That you're dangerous together for the kingdom of God. 
I love that. I love this. No one else knows about it, but babe, you and me, you, me, and the Lord, we're going to do good things together. God's got big plans for us together. This is going to be an amazing journey, an exciting life together. Oh, the things we will do for the kingdom of God, for his glory. Remind us of that today. Remind us of the joy. Remind us of the excitement. Remind us of the splendor of sharing this life with another human being for the rest of our days on this earth. Show us once again, Lord, the beauty and the wonder of what you've created, this thing we call marriage. And Lord, for those of us that are single in this room today, whether we were married or we want to get married, I just pray that your love would come down upon us and show us what it means to love. We all know someone that's married and we see some of the ugliness of it. Some of us are like, I never want to get married because of how my parents were or how my friends are. But God, show us once again what your love looks like. Like Scott and Holly were just saying, what, what the love of Jesus looks like. Show us again what that looks like. We don't want to live and love like the celebrities tell us how to live in love. We don't want to live in love like Dr. Phil or Oprah tells us how to live in love. We want to live and love how you, Jesus, have called us to live in love. So show us that today. Show us again, Lord, what it means to live for you and to love like you. Thank you, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.